All right, hello everyone. My name is Luke, and uh, good to see all of you, whether you're participating online, or maybe you're joining from one of our campuses locally, Mountain Road, Edgewood, Abingdon, Aberdeen. Uh, welcome to all of you. It's kind of a welcome back, maybe even for some, as we're getting to uh, start doing some of the things that maybe we stopped doing in COVID, kind of returning as uh, we're able to get out and about a little bit more. So wherever you're at with that, uh, welcome. And uh, it's good to be here. Uh, Welcome is a good word. In fact, a key word for this series. Uh, The teachings that we're doing is in this series called BLESS. B-L-E-S-S. And that is very simply pushing all of us to to consider how we might welcome more people into our lives. Uh, That's something at the core of God's mission for God's people. Just like the early church leader, Paul, he said to the church in the city of Rome, he said, welcome one another just as God has welcomed you. In other words, God's invitation has extended to you, now let it flow through you. God's family includes you, now you include others. Be a a hospitable people. Ben talked about that last week. Uh, Not hospitable in the formal sense, like arranging all the dinnerware and the the centerpieces and and so forth, but uh, in the down-to-earth kind of sense. Welcome people into your life. For, for a meal, for a conversation, for any kind of quality uh, time that could build a relationship. Be hospitable in the sense that people feel at home in your presence. Wow, what a blessing it is to know people like that. What if we could be people like that? It makes you think about our reputation. Like, what, what are we known for? That's a little bit of a frightening question uh, these days for Jesus people, for Christians, church people, you know. Uh, not exactly pulling down the best reviews on Yelp all the time. Um, in a lot of cases, we've probably earned some of those negative opinions. Uh, it would be those instances where we've uh, forgotten our calling and our identity, where we've lost sight of who God is, what God's about, and what we're about. Bless, B-L-E-S-S, is a simple acronym precisely intended to help us remember what we're about. It marks out some, some habits and a posture that Jesus' followers can adopt that, that has a chance to be quite uh, refreshing and uh, life-giving and has a chance to do something that God delights in doing, bringing blessing to the world. Yes, what if Christians, what if Christians were those people who, to begin with, were deeply invested in praying for their neighbors? Our love for God and our love for our neighbors would lead us to talking to God on their behalf, desiring God's blessing to unfold in their lives, praying in that direction. And then following the direction of our prayers, we would listen to people. It's a blessing to be listened to. It's the same thing as being loved for so many of us. And then committing to not just think about what to eat, but but who we'll eat with. Sharing a meal, that's how Jesus shared his life with people. He was trying to break down walls between God and people who who figured that they were disqualified from God's blessings. And he did that at the table. Everyone was welcome at the table with Jesus. B-L-E-S is for serve. To remind us uh, that another tangible way we can bless people is through serving them. We'll say more about that today. And then the other S anchors in the idea that the stories that we tell Stories of God's faithfulness and God's kindness, God's grace to us, and how we have been changed by God's love and power. Those stories are a blessing to people who may have heard a rumor about such a God, but neither reassurance that God is real. 
It reminds me a lot of those stories that we tell. They, they talk about a beginning or maybe a new beginning that uh, comes with baptism. You know, committing your life to follow Jesus, to trust him as Savior and Lord. And um, th- there's a great opportunity coming up that um, we're going to have for a baptism splash. It's Father's Day weekend. And if you're ready to trust Jesus, we'll be ready to celebrate with you. You can sign up in advance. You can get more information online. And, and maybe that will be the next chapter of the story that you tell. B-L-E-S. It's pretty straightforward. These are the kinds of things. These are hallmarks of being Jesus people. It's who we're called to be. It's what we're called to do. We bless in tangible ways. And to reiterate, uh, the, the foundation for this blessing activity, it, it's pretty simple as well. Um, it, it goes like this. Uh, we live in a broken world. I don't think anyone would, would argue that. That there's pain and heartache and disease and sin and death. The world's broken. God wants to heal it. God wants to overcome evil with good, to bring blessing and beauty and wholeness. God is restoring this broken place. The the peculiar thing is how God does it. Now, I I say peculiar. Uh, It it strikes me that way when I think about it sometimes. And and we really can't afford afford to miss this. It's that God, uh, what he chooses to do is work through people. God involves himself with the people that God created in a very distinct way. Uh, Ben read these verses from Genesis 12 last week. Uh, They're critical for understanding like the whole Bible, the whole story that unfolds there. So first part of Genesis describes a good world that has been wrecked by human sin and rebellion. In response, God, the creator, patiently, lovingly intervenes in a way that that might be surprising. he's, He's partnering with humans, with stubborn, rebellious humans, uh, by pledging himself to these humans, saying, I'm willing to work with you. You're not always the best partners, but if you love me and choose my life-giving ways, then that will bring life and flourishing and blessing and healing to you and to a world that desperately needs it. That's what God said to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. He said, Abram, go, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's God's intent. God chooses one, not just for his own sake, but for the sake of a world God loves. And the rest of Genesis and the rest of the Bible describes how God is patiently working this this partnership to restore and heal and bless. It, It continues right up to and through Jesus. It continues right up to and through the church, which is a community of people commissioned to be agents of God's blessing, a calling we don't always live up to, but that is within reach if we will love God and do these very practical things embedded in B-L-E-S-S, to love our neighbor. And now we're back to where we started. So that's the foundation. Or, or you might say, that's what's fueling this whole series. That's the animating force behind it. That's why, you know, the Ferguson brothers wrote this book called Bless. That's why we've got a bunch of resources on our website, including a bunch of other books. Um, that's why we're inviting everyone to take the Bless Challenge by texting BLESS to 877-622-1824 so that we can uh, be challenged to live out these practices in, in a way that, that builds relationships and blesses our neighbors in all kinds of everyday ways. That's what we're called to do. We bless. 
Are you with me still? I can't hear you anyway. But actually, if you're with me, you're probably a little ahead of me because you, you're starting to see where this is going. Uh, you know we're talking about S as in serve. Earlier this week, I told my friend Angela, yeah, we're talking about S, it's, it's, it's for serve. And she said, oh yeah, I know that, I do that. And, and you too, you're uh, probably anticipating what, what this might mean. After all, this kind of talk is nothing strange around here. We talk about it all the time. This is the simplest way we know how to describe what it means to follow Jesus is love God, love people, and serve the world. And serving the world is all about being a blessing everywhere you go. Look, I found it on our website. There it is. Clipped it out. Highlighted it for you. It says it right there. We've been here before. Serve the world. Go, go and do something. Be generous with what you have. Don't, don't be stingy. Don't be stingy and, and live like this, tight-fisted. No. Open up and live like this. This blesses the world. You've heard this call to serve the world before as an invitation to join a team of mountain people who, who serve by performing a specific task, whether it's, it's parking cars or teaching a group of kids or leading a group of students or running the lights or the, the camera or hosting in the chat room of an online service or mulching a local playground or serving internationally or giving away food or a whole host of other things. And it's important to hear that invitation again right now, um, especially right now. We're all, we're all still sort of emerging from COVID and we'll be in that process for some time. A lot of us uh, will, will be moving at our own pace, I suspect. And as the world continues to open up and as our church tries to maintain and to advance ministry in a post-COVID world that is only in greater need in many ways, opportunities to serve and to join teams like that are going to abound. And in fact, they do right now. It's time to engage or, or to re-engage. Get going, do something, give something. There is an urgency and opportunity with some of these, uh, these organized ways that we serve our collective neighbors, whether those in our region or those connecting digitally wherever they are. Uh, I was encouraged to see my friend Brooks. He was auditioning last Sunday after service to, to play the drums. Um, I heard he made the chair team as a result. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think he did well. Uh, Leslie stopped me the other day to ask about how she might start tutoring kids at the epicenter in reading because she has experience and passion for doing that. Uh, maybe God is nudging you similar in a similar kind of way. And maybe you already know, okay, it's time. Uh, it's time for me to get going. Uh, time for me to go online or fill out a Connect card or send an email and just say, I, I want to serve somewhere. I want to get involved. Another way that uh, you're probably already running ahead of me is you're thinking about the, the people that you've been praying for. Specific folks, not, not just our neighbors collectively, but, but your neighbors, the, the people with whom you live and work and play. That's exactly what we've been prompted to think about in the last few weeks. Bringing our neighbors to the center of our concern and pursuing ways to bless them. And the simple point today is that if you keep moving in that direction, which I hope we all will, God will prompt you to bless your neighbors by serving them. And I, I don't know that that sounds all that revolutionary, and maybe, maybe neither do the other things that we've been talking about in the last few weeks. You can think quickly about what this might mean, uh, certain acts of kindness, uh, baking, muffin, baking muffins or, or lending tools or giving a ride or mowing grass or keeping kids or sending cards or whatever, and all good things. Certainly the kinds of things that we should do. We, we should be the kinds of people who show love in those ways. But you know, there, there are a lot of, of do-good movements. Um, 
a lot of serve days, and you know, celebrities have their foundations, and, and philanthropists promote kindness, and, and you, after all. I mean, you, you, you've been known to do nice things for other people, right? Probably. You, you, you be nice and, and kind and so forth. So, so what, is, what is the big deal here, exactly? What's here that's unique or distinctive? I mean, is there more to say? Or, or if we just promise to do a good deed in our neighborhood once in a while, can we all just go home now? You know, watch a Pass It On commercial. Here's the deal. The, the power and the depth and, frankly, the wonder of what we're talking about today won't be perceived unless Jesus comes into focus. And that's the best thing I think we can try to do with the rest of our time here. Because, you know, sometimes, sometimes it can be hard to see Jesus for who he is. We witnessed some of that last week. When Jesus, he's always at the table, he's always at parties, gathering people around him, and there were folks that slapped a label on him. He's a drunkard. He's a glutton. This guy's out of control. Jesus loved in such a way that he, he risked being misunderstood. So, so who is he, really? I mean, even those closest to him had a hard time understanding. Let me, uh, let me draw something that I hope will help us uh, see, bring into focus, whatever Jesus wants us to see. Um, Okay, we're just going to draw some stick figures here. This is a person. Uh, we'll kind of put him up on a pedestal here. And, and this is someone of significance, someone who has influence and authority. And then uh, let me draw someone else who, uh, in comparison, uh, does, does not. They're, they're in submission to this person. Maybe I should give him some arms. Um, in submission to this person and their greatness, okay? So like if this was on the red carpet, this would be the A-list celebrity getting out of the limo, teeth gleaming white, um, reflecting the flash bulbs. And this would be the limo driver opening the door, like kind of get out of the way of the camera, right? So um, first thing to recognize is that when you read the accounts in the New Testament, a lot of people actually approached Jesus just like this. Uh, Peter, in Luke 5, one of Jesus' first disciples, he comes, he, he's falling at Jesus' feet. Go away from me, Lord, I'm not, I'm not worthy. A man with leprosy in Mark 1, he's begging Jesus to be healed. Rich man in Mark 10, falling at Jesus' knees, seeking his counsel. Woman in Luke 7 comes and, and falls at Jesus' feet and is anointing his feet with perfume. And there, there's several other similar kinds of scenes just like that. Including uh, an interesting one in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, this is rather late in the Jesus story. Jesus, is, he's traveled around quite a bit and taught and healed and blessed a lot of people. And he's garnered uh, quite a following. James and John were two of his followers, their brothers. And in Matthew 20, their mom comes to Jesus just like this and asks for a favor. What is it that you want? Jesus asks. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's, that's a pretty bold move. And, and I love that it's in the Bible. <laughs> you know, James and John, they're leaders in, in the church when these stories are being circulated and collated. And, and it seems like they had to be thinking, come on, do, do we have to really publish that? Do we have to keep telling that story? We go with our mom to ask Jesus for this kind of promotion? Because it was a little embarrassing. Jesus doesn't just say, yeah, sure, good idea. No, he, he recognized, oh dear, even, even my closest followers are, are, are misunderstanding what I'm about. 
And so he uses this as a, as a teachable moment. The rest of the Jesus' disciples, they get upset when they find out what James and John and their mom have done. And so Jesus calls them all together, and he, he's got to get them reoriented. And he said this to them. Now, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over their subjects. And they, they exercise this, this kind of authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must become your servant, your slave. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus phrased for himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus knows, and, and they know, and we know, uh, this is kind of like the, the main goal in life, getting to the top of the heap, right? Having influence, possessing the ability to control your environment and have people submit to your agenda. Wouldn't we all rather be the person getting out of the limo than the person holding the door? But Jesus is trying to make something else clear. You're right in recognizing that I am a person of influence, a king, in fact, and, and I am bringing a kingdom in power, and it will bring blessing, but not the blessing of worldly admiration and status. My kingdom is unlike anything you have ever seen among the power brokers of the day. My influence will not extend through command and control, but rather through sacrificial love and service. Do you want to be on my right and my left now? Would you like to link arms with me now? If you say that you want to follow me, this is where I am. If, if you want me to be your leader, then this is the model that you emulate. Relationships aren't something that you leverage for your own esteem. Rather, you leverage what you have to esteem other people. That, that, that's how marriage works. Hint, hint, Paul says in Ephesians 5. You know, do-goodism tells you to do kind things for other people because it'll make you feel good about yourself. And that's fine, and it might. But the, the servant way of, of Jesus is motivated solely by his deep love for other people. And it costs him something. It's costly. Jesus' commitment to serve will take him all the way to death. It's a, a giving up. Though he is owed everything, honor, status, respect, he's not trying to get anything. Instead, he's giving everything, giving himself away. Are we ready to do this in our relationships with our neighbors? those we've been praying for, listening to, eating with? Am I ready to give myself away so God can use me as the old chorus goes? We worship a Lord who offers the best of what he has for our sake. His life for our life, for our freedom from sin and death. He did not use his position and status to his own advantage. Rather, he humbled himself and became a servant so that he might leverage his power for our blessing, for the blessing of the world. There's our esteem. There's our status. 
valued in the sight of God. There's our riches, renewed and abundant life in Christ. There's our security, loved by the Father and welcomed into the family. In Christ, there is no reason to strive for this. Not so with you, Jesus says. Rather, to serve in Jesus' name is to take the best of what you got and put it in play for someone else. Take your riches and deliver them into the lap of another. Take the benefits you have and use them to someone else's advantage. How could you do that for the neighbors that you've been praying for? What uh, services could you offer pro bono? What, what skills do you have that, that you could use to benefit others? Where do you have influence, uh, perks, access to resources that could be offered up for the sake of someone else? I saw uh, two friends do that, or same kind of thing earlier this week. Randy and Sherry, they, they helped contribute to a party for kids, food and prizes that they uniquely had the ability to give. They leveraged their position to benefit others. When you love people like Jesus loves, this is what you do. It's not just about doing random acts of kindness, though, though kindness is admirable and, and it's moving in the right direction. But if you keep going, you discover Jesus and you discover it's about spending yourself on behalf of those that you love. And, and I guess that, that that's what this series is really pushing us to reckon with. Do we love our neighbors? Are we willing to pursue them in prayer, lend them an ear, and seek to understand, break bread with them, and yes, find ways to serve and express love in a way that elevates and blesses other people? Are we willing, I love how Scott McKnight says it, are we willing to make a rugged commitment to love? One more scene from the life of Jesus that exemplifies Jesus' rugged commitment to us. It was during the final week of his life as he prepared to complete the work that he had set out to do, and Jesus gathered his close, closest followers for a meal. And everyone who was there that night remembers what happened. You know, expectations for, for Jesus as this conquering king, they were reaching this fever pitch, and, and things were all sort of coming to a head. And Jesus was quite aware of how people were, were misunderstanding what he was about, and he knew that his time had come. And he was trying to prepare his, his followers for the mission that lie ahead of them. I mean, these are the ones to whom he would say, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. He, he was forming a community that would have a distinct presence in the world, one that looked just like his. It, it started with them, and now we're the ones. We're the ones carrying that same legacy and purpose forward. And yeah, uh, sometimes we misunderstand that. And we think that our role is, is to dominate and to control and to work every relationship to our advantage. And, and we get duped into keeping up with the Joneses or to one-upping the Joneses. Or maybe even more commonly, uh, ignoring the fact that the Joneses even exist because we're so preoccupied we can't see them, uh, we can't see past the end of our own nose because we're just consumed with what we got going on. We, we can't understand that, that there we are in a place that, could extend God's blessing to someone else. 
We need Jesus in clear view if we're going to be able to participate in God's blessing of the world. And he shows us something quite stunning in John chapter 13. It says it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that his hour had come. It was time for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or sometimes it's translated, he showed them the full extent of his love. So the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Heartwarming little detail. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Would you do something like that for your neighbors? First, maybe just even think about it literally. I know it's not our thing. It's it's a different culture. Uh, You know, for Jesus, it was different. This was a slave's task. People weren't walking around in Nikes on concrete. No, sandaled feet trudging through dusty roads, they would get quite dirty. And those of lowest position would clean the lowest extremities. That was their job, not Jesus's, who had all things under his power. But, you know, would you? You know, let, let's just say your, your, neighbors, you just, your neighbor just finishes mowing their lawn on a 90-degree day. Push mower, a third of an acre, with a hill. <laughs> How would you feel about peeling off sweaty socks and scrubbing between the toes and, and rinsing grass clippings out of their leg hair? I'm asking because I'm looking for someone to do that for me this summer. Um, no, I'm asking because the Lord of the world who has all things under his power and for whom the earth is a footstool, got down in the dirt and washed the feet of his followers, even those who would betray him and deny him. And then he asked the question. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? So you call me teacher and Lord. And that's right to do that because that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You know, sometimes the Bible, the Bible is quite vague and mysterious. <laughs> and sometimes it's quite clear. Jesus loved them to the end. He showed them the full extent of his love. And then he said, let this be an example for you to follow. This this is what Jesus was known for. And this is what he wants his followers to be known for. Jesus is, he's pledging himself to his followers, giving of himself fully, holding back nothing. Jesus, God in the flesh, the God who pledged himself to Abram and entangled himself with these dirty, dastardly humans to in in some way, as only God could do, lovingly enter into the mess and bring blessing to this broken world. That the desire to bless that God has had from the beginning, that, that love that has been motivating God all along is now showing up in a tangible way, in an earthy way, in an 
intimate way through the Lord of the universe with a towel in his hands, looking at his followers and saying, do you understand who I'm calling you to be and what I'm calling you to do? I have given you an example. I have shown you the fullest extent of my love. Will you show your neighbors what I have shown you? That's what Jesus would hope his church would be known for. Through washing feet, sometimes literally, through caring for the sick, picking up groceries, helping with homework, cooking meals, cleaning up messes you didn't make, sharing your stuff, giving generously, paying to send your neighbor kids to camp, throwing parties, giving rides, bandaging cuts, opening your home, being there in crisis and any other way God prompts you to take the best of what you got and use it to benefit someone else. This is what Jesus' people do. We bless. And you know, blessing is messy. I mean, if you're going to seriously love your neighbor, it's only going to leave you more entangled with them. I mean, ask God. He knows what that's about. I mean, their problems, their opinions, their drama. You wouldn't do that without the love of Christ compelling you. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it without Jesus' example. I might do enough good deeds to make myself feel good about myself, but I wouldn't empty myself to enrich someone else. Without a vision of Jesus, life would just be about me trying to bring more of the world under my control. Not about giving myself away in love. Were it not for the God who pledged himself to me and bought me with a price, I would not have the strength or the will to serve anything but my own interests. But when a vision of Jesus can come into focus for me, then I can serve my neighbor in love, hoping that a vision of Jesus will come into focus for them. May it be so for all those that we serve. Let's pray. God, thank you for the compelling witness and example of Jesus who showed us what love is all about. Teach us from that example. Give us uh, the courage. Uh, stir love within us for the people that you, you've placed us right around. They're there. You see them. Help us to see them. Help us to, 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 to commit ourselves to pray, to listen, to perceive what is there to share meals and break bread and learn to celebrate and to even serve, to be willing to get our hands dirty. And even if it's messy, God, sustain us and call us to love in ways that, that endure, in ways that stand with when times are hard, in ways that bring comfort in the midst of pain, in ways that celebrate in times of joy. Teach us to, to, to walk with and to, to stand with the people that you're calling us to bless. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.